Bluetooth microphone. Go back right there. And then back to share. There we go. All right, so this is the lesson. So welcome to the Story of America. We're doing our another Sunday show in Jay's Corner of Religion. we got to come up with a better name for your show. And you are not helping at all, you fat uh, uh, <laughs> Well, you know, I do like the word apocalypse. Usually that's what I, I like to hear. Yes, this is with. not going to be Jay's apocalypse. That's not happening. <laughs> not Jay's apocalypse, of course not. But, you know, I do, I do like that, you know. Jay's Corner, I never think about it. I mean, I still been even thinking about my new league name, but I, I, I always stick to Apocalypse just because, you know, I'm not, I'm not such a very good representative, so I like to keep it as some kind of craziness. So looking at this uh, Sunday School book today, looks to me that we have the topic, a perceived threat. Oh, my voice is very raspy. <clears throat> Uh, perceived threat to unifying topic is a messianic priest king. <clears throat> now, this is going to be quite convoluted. That's the reason why. I, that's the reason why I enjoy teaching from uh, the teenagers' book more than that. But people don't know how to stop touching things, so that teenagers' book is gone. Uh, don't know where it's at. Haven't I haven't seen it since then. Uh, but you can see that we have quite a number of background scriptures to go into. Uh, that was being from Jeremiah, the 23rd chapter, verses 5 through 6. Zechariah, the 6th chapter, verses 9 through 15. John, 19th chapter, verses 1 through 5. And we have Hebrews, the 7th chapter, verse 13. Lots of uh, background uh, in this particular story. And you can see in the lesson here, that it's been broken off and divided by different uh, by differences there. And when I switch over to the next uh, page, you know, you'll be able to see that as well. Okay, so uh, you want to read King James, or you want to do the new standard, uh, the new revised standard version? Read the new standard version. All right, Jay. Well, read these first two verses uh, for me. Okay, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for uh, King David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice, execute justice and righteously in the land. And his and his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called: the Lord is our righteousness. Okay, so let's stop right there. Uh, the, the good thing about these lessons is that they are broken down into different things. And I let me see if I have another screen that I can that I can share here. Um, this one right here. But you can see it's in the exposition that we uh, can you see this? Where it says lesson setting, or is it still showing the other or the other page? Uh, see lesson setting and exposition. Okay, so you see here in the exposition and stuff like that. When we get ready to go there, I have one more page that I that I need to scan in uh, to show you, and I'll probably go over there on my scanner when I give you some time to talk and expound on a lesson. 
but it's going to be broken down into different subtopics that we get to talk about in the exposition. And one of those, if let me pop this up here and save this so I can pop this up also on the screen. Save that, that way I can pop it on the screen and we can go right here. You know, seeing seeing it popped up right here makes makes me kind of lazy. Now I'm not gonna want to write down my notes, but I'm still gonna do that. But I mean, I'm still gonna want these pictures saved, at least sent to me for sure. So write my. So you can see that the first subtopic in this lesson is the righteous branch. I'm gonna read this, and then we're gonna expound on this a little bit. Uh, so the righteous branch. Jesus Christ is the only person who ever walked the face of the earth and knew no sin. He shares fully in the righteousness of God. While Jesus Christ is of the human seed of David, he was he is without sin because he had no earthly father. He had no heavenly he had a heavenly father and an earthly mother. See Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 to 25. No one in, in the history of mankind except Jesus has ever been able to always do the right thing. Even the most devoted Christian can only be seen to be truly righteous in God's sight by virtue of Jesus's atonement on Calvary's cross. Jesus is the only source of righteousness for any Christian. Jesus is the one whom Jeremiah said would be called the Lord is our righteousness. As Robert Davison notes for Jeremiah, there, had, there was the hope of the coming one day of a legitimate descendant of the family of David who will rule ably, guarantee to his people peace and security and that right ordering and of society summed into the words justice and righteousness. Jesus will deliver his people from their sins by his righteousness. In reading that, since this is the story of America, we have to tie everything back to America. In reading that, it sounds to me quite similar to the way we view the preamble to our Constitution. And it should, in my view, it should be similar because our country's constitution is based off of our Christian principles. It's based off of our desire and goal to be more like Christ. So when I'm looking at particular parts in this uh, subtopic here, where Jesus is going to guarantee his people peace and security in a society that's full of justice and righteousness you look at the preamble to the constitution let me pop it up here as i always have a, have it nearby look at you pop it up here that we the people of the united states in order to form a more perfect union establish justice ensure domestic tranquility provide for the common defense promote the general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty do ourselves and our, of our uh, posterity do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. 
And in this case, we do, we do this in replication of Jesus's example to secure peace and liberty and justice to us here. But the problem here in our constitution, in our preamble, is the difference in words. The difference being is that, pay close attention to what it says. It says that we do this to promote general welfare, to establish these things. But here in relation to Jesus's, Jesus's righteousness, we're seeing that this word right here, guarantee that we don't have to worry about promoting or establishing this justice, this righteousness. We don't have to worry about uh, establishing peace and security in his righteousness. It is already guaranteed to us, his people. So I want you to expound a little bit on these first two verses that we've read. Um, what, what this righteous branch of Christ means to you, and how do you think we can encourage others, particularly young people, to be involved in this righteousness? Well, we got to understand that we aren't righteous without him. And he, that's the reason he has to be our righteousness. Um, and that's the beauty of it. Because we do fall, we fall very hardly as, as you've seen America go down in, the, in this last couple of times. Even uh, since Thanksgiving has already passed, you know, that's what we're thankful for. Whenever we saw that God's grace was still on, you know, the Plymouth people to survive through all the hardships, they believed there was God that that kept them, you know, righteous, that kept them going because he ordained it. Um, you know, people do like to um, talk very bad about, you know, like Thanksgiving nowadays. Apparently, leftists like to say how we're evil or just craziness of us taking over. But God still, in all these times, still kept us going forward, kept us alive, even after the Civil War, even Abraham Lincoln still believed that God kept us, even after we had fought each other, after all the stuff that we fought down to, God still preserved us. God still kept us going. And it's because of his righteousness. And it's because we try to have his image that makes us righteous. We, will, we do fall, but we still try to uphold justice. We try to uphold God's word and have the freedom to um, practice our religion, our Christianity. And proclaim God and his righteousness. And it's because of that that we stay in his grace. Because, you know, there is justice. And if it was justice without Christ, God would condemn us. But because of the fact that, like us, when God is our righteousness, God spares us. Oh, that's, a, that's very good. I like that. Uh, what, do, what do you think um, justice would look like without the presence of God. Yeah, without without Jesus Christ, righteousness being seen instead of and, and us just seen as as fallen creatures, fallen nation, falling over and over again, 
I think justice would be God, you know, either letting us fall down as a nation, letting us individuals fall down to his justice. And justice in God's realm is doing with the evil and even even individually our sins require death and without god's righteousness and his and his stepping in and being our righteousness we would get god's justice and that is punishment as us either falling as individuals or falling as a nation completely but that's that righteousness that jesus christ steps us and is our ambassador to god and justice is already reigned on jesus christ he suffered already the entire, the entire, entirety death for our sins. He became sin for us. And because of this nation, I wanted to exemplify that, wanted to show that to everybody else and, and being truly the light for the rest of the world, just like Israel was supposed to be the light. America has, you know, stepped up and become that light. And it's because of that, that we have God's righteousness and standing in so that that justice doesn't fall on us because we do, we do, deserve justice because God is a just God and he's holy and to even have him in our presence we have to be holy and we have to be you know holy for him but thank God Jesus Christ is our righteousness I do agree um go ahead and read to verse 13 while I make another uh scan of this last part of the lesson okay Zechariah 6 9 through 15. The word of God, I mean, the word of the Lord came to me. Collect silver and gold from the exiles from Heldia, Tobaja, those are pretty hard words, and Jadia. Sorry for butchering those words. Those are, you know, who have arrived from Babylon and go the same days to the house of Josiah, the son of Jeph Jephaniah. Take the silver and gold and make a crown and set it on the head of high priest Joshua, son of Jezehozadak. Say to him, thus says the Lord, host, here is the man whose name is Branch. For the shall branch out in his place and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he that shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne. There shall be a priest by his throne and with peaceful understanding between the two of them. And continue reading um, to verse 15. Did you say those three words for Haldia? Heldia, Tobaja, Tobajia? Do, do, the <laughs> do the best that you can. I'll, I'll correct you if I need to. Okay. And the crown shall be in their care of those three names. Son of Zephaniah <laughs> as a <laughs> memorial. Uh, Helda, Helda, Tobijah, and, Jebed and Jediah. Those are hard yeah. ones, I'm telling you. Yeah, and then these are Josiah's uh, son of Zephaniah. Those who, those who are far off shall come and help to build the temple of the Lord, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. This will happen if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. Um, okay. Well, uh, thank you. Uh, sorry for butchering that, but I will say this. you know, Even Moses didn't want to be a speaker because of his slow to speech and his mummering, but you know, 
God calls you to do something and just do the best you can. Well, I mean, that's why it's always, you always have to be prepared for everything. And, you know, names, names are tough. Oh, yeah. Uh, names are tough because different languages, different age, different era that we come from. And why did this thing not, uh, not scan like it was supposed to? Uh, redo it. Um, so I want to go ahead and look at this part right here. Read the, read the lesson setting because we're about to get into understanding what's actually going on and before we go into the background of all of this. So read the lesson setting right there. Crucifixion was a common Roman method of executing criminals in the time of Jesus. It was carried out by nailing or trying to condemn prisoners to a cross or a tree. With crucifixion, death did not come by sudden damage or by violence to the bodily organs. Rather, it was designed to slowly torture its victims. Death came by way of slow suffocation. Crucifixion could not by law be imposed upon a Roman citizen, only upon foreigners. Death on a cross in the first century AD was thus the most despicable way to die. See Galatians 3.13. This honorable, I mean, this horrible form of death was meant to bring shame and great dishonor upon Jesus, but it actually resulted in him being glorified. History has shown he had done nothing wrong to deserve such a terrible death. And so what we're seeing in this exposition and in this lesson, the setting of a lesson is... Just exactly what Christ had to go through in order to become that branch of righteousness. And this setting, the reason why it's important to, to know the setting is to know what's happening at the moment that the author is writing the scripture. So this is obviously in relationship to the next two, the next five verses that we're going to be reading. Uh, which is John 19 verses one through five, which is the time period just before Jesus is to be crucified. So let me flip back over to this page here. If I, if I can go right there. Mm-hmm. And now we're looking at this section here, the crowning branch of And I'm going to read this part here and we're going to do a little bit of listening to. So some people like to brag or boast about their ancestors, but Christians have an ancestor of whom they can be truly proud. Jesus Christ, the righteous, the branch of David, Jesus alone is the one who can bear the name of the branch of God. Jesus has the singular distinction because he is so unique in his holy righteousness. Zechariah chapter 6 focuses on the crowning of the branch as king. In the immediate context of this passage of scripture, the branch is Joshua, the high priest. Great expectations are placed upon him. He is to be the one who will be the branch, who will bear royal honor. And who will bring together the roles of king and priest in himself, Jesus. The crown of Helda, Tobijah, and uh, Jediah 
is ultimately for him. As Peter C. Craig notes, their gift would be a reminder to themselves and to future generations that a king was coming, that God had not given, had not forgotten his people. Jesus is that true branch of God who is the king of kings and Lord of lords. He will rule over all the thrones that earthly rulers can ever establish. And high priestess, you know, he had to do both of them. You know what the, the one that, hmm? do, you, do you know what the importance of the molding of those two roles are? Um, well, high priestess, are, you know, they're the ones that have to go and, and atone for the people of Israel. And the king is the one that rules Israel's people. I mean, uh, what else could you, could you say about it? Uh, who are the priests in Israel? Well, the priests are the ones that, you know, they go into the, like, the book of Leviticus and they, they uh, tell you how to do sacrificial systems. How See, to you're, getting it, you're getting there, but you're, but you're still missing it. Leviticus is named Leviticus for reason. The priest of Israel are all of the tribe of Levi. The, that's, what, that's where Leviticus gets its root word, the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi are also the tribe that is responsible for holding and, and moving the covenant of God, the Ark of the Covenant. No yes. other tribe is responsible for that duty. And when it comes to the most important tribes in Israel, the Levi tribe, are the high priests. These are ones that you had to go to to speak to directly. In the old times, you had to speak to the priest in order to get a prayer through to God. There was no other way to do it. You had to go through the priest first. So when you have the tribe of Levi merging with the tribe of Benjamin and Jacob, because you're looking at the tribe of Joseph, but what tribe does Jesus come from? He comes from the 10th brother's tribe, the tribe of, of little Ben. Mm -hmm. So you're molding the Levi tribe and the tribe of Benjamin, probably the most prestigious tribe in the Levi of the tribe that was looked at at the bottom of the rung with Benjamin. And that's mixing and mashing together, which is bringing us the ability to be able to not have to go to the priest directly in order to receive or in order to get a prayer out to God. And now that he is the branch, he is the crowning branch, he is the ruler of all rulers, he is the king. Now, instead of going to the priest, we're going straight to, straight to Jesus because he is the priest and he is the king. We don't have to go to anybody else. Nobody has to be a third party anymore. We get to go directly to the source. And he became our, our only mediator, mediator to God. And when we pray, you know, we are basically stepping into the Holy of Holies, that part where only priests could go into. And, and that, you know, they even ha they have to do a whole sanctification on themselves 
and tie a rope around them because if they weren't even holy enough, they'd have to be dragged out, you know? And it, 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 God is holy. He demands holiness. And you can't be in his uh, holiness if, if you're sinful or still have sins on you, unrepented of. But thank God, you know, we do live in grace and Jesus Christ is that perfect mediator that we shouldn't even have to, you know, be scared of because he's a loving, caring God. Still, you know, demands justice, but, you know, we do live in the time of grace. As long as we don't take it, uh, that grace as something that, uh, that is something that is just like, how, it, it goes with justice in a way, because some people do say, oh, you know, they get so comfortable with grace that they just, they just think that it's justice for them to get this grace. But if God actually, actually gave us true justice, well then, that wouldn't be very good for us without Jesus. Exactly. It's the grace of God that allows us to continue to be the sinful heathens that we are. Uh, it's also the grace of God that allows us to be able to repent for said sin. And it's it, his it's, ability. It's faithful. Yes. It's his ability to be faithful to us. Uh, it's his, his, his unconditional love for us that allows us to make these decisions for ourselves. Yes, and it, you know, some people might say, why, why did God even make sin? Because God wants to show us his characteristics. God wants to show us his graciousness, his, his, his love and his, and his forgiveness. You know, that's the whole pre the reason we had even sin to be, begin with, because you know, this is all to glorify God in the end of it. To, everything is to glorify God and him being able to show us that mercy and 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 uh, forgiveness just gives more glory to him because we are not supposed to be in his holiness in his in his perfectness you know and the sad thing is is that sin is more a manifestation of man than it is a creation of god and i'll explain god is very well the creator of all things which includes sin but as sin comes into existence as it comes into being is manifested of the will of man. For us to have freedom of choice, for us to have freedom of will, is also the freedom to defy God. It's also the freedom to defy his teachings. And as we become more sinful and we become more challenging of God's vision, it's particularly if you go back with Israel and we ask God to give us rules and we can, we can, we can be sin-free so long as you tell us what not to do. And then he gives us those rules that we ask for. Then those rules are too hard and we can't do it. So then now we are creating more sin among ourselves because we don't want to be obedient. And that's where, that's where, most, that's where all sin stems from is disobedience. Every sin comes from that. It's the root. That's the source of sin. It's disobedience. It wouldn't be any sin if Adam had obeyed God and not eaten of the fruit. There wouldn't be any sin if Eve had not take, been tempted by the snake and ate of the fruit. Disobedience to God. But human beings are so unique in all of creation because we're the only things that continue to exist through natural selection and the process thereof 
that can continue to exist without doing the role that we are supposed to fulfill in in society. And I don't mean society as in culture, human culture. I mean society as in the earth as a whole. We're the only beings that don't have to do what our role is to do and continue to exist. You know, the lion has to hunt, has to keep the savanna at a certain population level. Otherwise, the lion will die and the animals in the savanna will die because if the lions are gone, that means there's no predator that's that's keeping the food chain down, which means that the herbivores are eating up all of the vegetation before it gets a chance to grow back. And then the herbivores start to die off because of a shortage of food. There's a role that everybody has to play. Human beings don't have to play that role. But only we only things that don't play, they don't play the role that we're that we were given. And that's where that's where sin comes from. Mm. You know, made in God's image, we can, you know, honor God and do the things that He calls us to do, which is worship Him and be good stewards of this world, you know, to make sure everything's going in that nice little circle. But you know, we still can do much worse in our own lusts and our own uh, fleshy desires, which is pretty natural. But you know, we're called to do. We're called to be holy. We're called to be that representative of God, and you know, show His glory through the way we live. Okay. All right. Go ahead and read this last section, John nineteen one through five. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and striking him on the face. Pilate went out again and said to them, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no case against him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of uh, thorns. And the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. I'm going to read the exposition, and then I'm going to read the third section. Exposition. In Jesus' day, the Jews held a certain understanding of who the Messiah would be and what kind of, and what kind of Messiah he would be. Much to their surprise, however, Jesus set an example of humility and service, dying a shameful death on the cross rather than seeking power and rule for himself. Jesus hung on Calvary's cross not because he had done anything wrong, but in order to atone for the sins of humankind for all time. This week's lesson will highlight how Jesus came in humility even though he was a king. Likewise, it will likely uh, it will emphasize that we too are called to humility. And moving to this part, the third lesson is called Behold the Man. And let me let me open it up so you can so you can see along. I thought I had opened it up. Let me go right there in documents. And there we go. Open that up so you can read along. Jesus was very good about serving. Jesus Christ was so good about serving, you know, even washing the feet of their, his own disciples, you know. He, he was truly 
humble. I mean, to believe that he's God and such a serving person. So let me let me read this and then we'll discuss it. After Pilate had Jesus beaten, he wanted to further humiliate him. So he instructed the soldiers to place a plated crown of thorns on his head. This crown of thorns was meant by Pilate to make a joke out of Jesus' being called King of the Jews. Sometimes, though, what the world does to bring shame upon God's people can have just the opposite effect. The crown of thorns that Pilate meant to humiliate Jesus only served to exalt him. The crown that was meant to degrade Jesus has come to exemplify his suffering for the sins of all humankind. The world wanted to show Jesus in a contemptible light, but God used the contempt of the world to glorify his son. Pilate fundamentally misunderstood all of this. As William Barclay points out, because Pilate yielded the important thing and stood firm on the unimportant, his name is a name of shame. Pilate was the man who took a stand on the wrong things. When the world put the Son of God on the tree, it unintentionally lifted him up for all people to see their Savior. Jesus suffered at the hands of Pilate and the Jewish leaders brought about salvation from sin and death. And I, I like that part very particular because it's true that the world will try to humiliate you. The world will try to bring you down to less than what you are. But just like in the process of Jesus, when the world brought him down, when they lifted him back up on the cross, now he's in a position for the entire world to see, oh, what a man this Jesus was, that he was willing to suffer so that we might be free. So what do you think, Jay? Well, God can use everything. And people say, do we have, do we truly have, uh, you know, free will? Well, we do have our free will, but God still knows exactly what we're going to do. And he knew that we were going to end up crucifying him. You know, I'm trying to find here. And He's, you know, he, he fulfilled the prophecy of being hanged up on a, on a tree to be cursed by all. And he's, and then he foreshadowed this from talking about Moses. Whenever the people, of, whenever the Israelites were complaining to God in the wilderness and had to, and, you know, Moses had to intercede and say, you know, save my people. And he had to carve that snake on that wood. You know, there's always foreshadowing. God knew this was going to happen. And even though people felt like they were doing the worst, God uses all that, all, all things that we can do for his good ultimately. And that really does help me nowadays because, you know, I do, I do, you know, get pretty sad about what's happening here in America. But the thing that, the thing that keeps me in peace and peace of mind is God uses all things for his glory and all things does, it doesn't matter that we don't know what's happening, but we should always trust in God. And he can use man's worst for his good. 
Well, you see, take a look at this part right here. I enjoy looking this part. Look at this. This part right here. And then look at what look at what it meant here. What actually happened? They intended, they intended to humiliate him, but instead they exalted him. They intended to degrade him, but instead they exemplified him. And if you don't know what exemplified means, it basically means they fortified him, made him stronger. Yes, I mean, and the prophecy of the Old Testament that speaks is Deuteronomy 21, 23. Be sure to bury him that same day because anyone who is hung on the tree is under God's curse. You must not be desecrate the land the Lord your God is giving you as inheritance. New Testament fulfilling Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. You know, he became sin for us. And so he is exemplified because, you know, him, everything, the fact that everything came fulfilled shows that he is God, shows that he is in control, complete control. And, and you know, and him being crucified, he still became king. He still became God. He still, he, he still conquered death. And became our redemption. And I, I agree with that. I mean, that, that is the key difference between our God and the gods of other religions. It's our God conquered and defeated death. So he has a mastery over that. So we have no reason to fear it. Whereas the other yeah. ones, they all just died. Yes, and Isaiah 50 and 6, I, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. That's Old Testament and New Testament fulfillment is Matthew 26, 67. Then they spat in his face and struck him with their fist. Others slapped him. Matthew 27, 26 through 30. They spat on him and took that staff and struck him on the head again and again. You know, I mean, one of the things I like to do when I'm reading uh, the Bible and when I'm doing my study, is I like to use books that have nothing to do with religion in order to bring things to. And one of the books that I found most interesting in doing that was this book right here. It's called The Last Safe Investment, Spending Now to Increase Your True Wealth Forever. Now, this doesn't sound like a book that you that you would even use to equate to anything religious. However, the first chapter I thought was incredibly important to religion. And the, the, the name of chapter one in this book is called Investing to Increase Your Happiness Exchange Rate. And, I, and as I read it, I was like, well, what the heck is a happiness exchange rate? And so basically what the book comes down to as a happiness exchange rate is you're investing in yourself, the things 
that you enjoy to do that make you happy. And if you are happier, you become financially more secure in your savings and in your ability to do stuff because now you don't have all of this unsatisfied desire because you've satisfied it, you've satiated it. And when I read over this, I can't help but think that there is nothing in my life that can increase my happiness exchange rate faster than developing a closer relationship with God. Because if I'm a Christian and I believe my beliefs, then investing in my happiness exchange rate with God, if he is the giver of all gifts, the grantor of all blessings, the secure of all liberty, then everything in this book from there on out is attainable to me because I have increased my happiness exchange rate by investing solely into God. You know, that reminds me of the book of Proverbs. He speaks about that. The one that fears God will have ever a long lasting life, long happiness. And, you know, he promises this to, to, to the ones that honor him. And, you know, he is, you know, you, even when people try to, you know, give to the church, you know, God is always going to outgive you. He owns everything. So why not give him what is needed for his church, what's needed for you to be happy and, and, and you know, invest in your life, invest for the, in, in those, in the words and in the word of God that you will keep his proverbs in your mind and keep your, uh, your mind clear and, and peace to move forward no matter what, you know, he is the one that gives happiness and it's through his understanding, it's through his, it's through his knowing that he's in complete control. Yeah, I'm, su I'm surprised that this, that my, Recording's been doing fine. I you know I forgot to leave uh, the stage chat in the, in the Discord. <laughs> really? Yes. Well, I'm liking this. I'm liking this app a lot more than the last one we were on. Last one, I just felt like I I was angry at my internet. I was like, the devil's attacking me. He doesn't want me to speak here. But this uh, this app is pretty nice, and I'm I'm happy that we're having the chance to not be distracted by anything. And, you know, here, here, here's the deal. When, when I, you know, I, I do a whole bunch of reading and I have so many books on my shelf. And as I read, I find it so interesting how certain things are so, that's what I'm looking for, applicable to some of the most basic things. Like, for instance, this is a, as I said, I told you before, this is a devotional prayer book for teenagers that I got when I was in, when I got, I think I got this when I was in middle school. And it's still applicable today. Today's date is November 28th. So, so November 28th, and this book gives us a scripture to read and the scripture is from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. And so 
this one uh, pretty pretty easy to recognize that we're talking about Thanksgiving times. And but so let me read this here. This is a prayer. It says God, I totally love food. I'm crazy about mm-hmm. so much of it. I mean, this is really, really you, Jay, you fat bastard. Uh, I gained some weight. I gained weight. I'm crazy about so much of it. Chocolate, ice cream, pizza, hamburgers, any kind of food. It's all wonderful to me. So now that my mind is focused on food, I just wanted to thank you for it. I mean, not just for the food, the whole idea that you create our bodies to need food and be able to chew and swallow it and digest it and turn it into energy is so incredible. Then on top of all of that, you allowed us to be able to grow and produce and buy food to eat. And you made it fun to do. You didn't make eating a chore. You didn't make it boring. You didn't have, you didn't make it a have to, you made it a want to right now. And so thank you. Thank you, God, for all the food you provide me, you provide for me to eat and for the ability you've given me to really enjoy eating it. Eating good food with a thankful heart can be a great act of worship to God. Surely he must relish it in our enjoyment of his gifts of great food. And I think, I think Jay, you have really uh, exemplified this. <laughs> well, you know, the beautiful thing about it is that, you know, we will go to God's banquet once you know we're beginning going to be married to the groom so we're going to have a, a banquet that's going to be even better than anything that we've had here and even that i mean heaven is going to be filled with eating we're going to have the fruit the, the tree of fruits the you know stream of milk and honey i mean this 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 goodness is still going to continue so you don't you won't be bored in heaven a lot of people do think that they will be bored in heaven but you got to you they, they don't understand that we won't have the fleshy desires and the sinful desires of, of this, of, of how we are here in this world, but we will want righteous. I mean, we will, we will, we don't want, we will be God's true beauty. We want sin. We won't, I mean, it, what, what more beautiful can it be? Okay. So here's how things are going to be going on from now on. We're going to be, teaching out of two books on the next several lessons. We're we're still going to be using our Sunday school lesson book because I think it's fun to go back through these old Sunday school books and let somebody do all of the work for us. And then we can just read it and see how it relates to life. But we're also going to start getting serious in our study because this is important. I've told you about this book many times. This book is The Battlefield of the Mind by Joyce Myers, Winning the Battle in Your Mind. This book is terrific for people who want to develop a closer relationship with God. And then we'll also be using my other favorite uh, book of the year, which is... uh, Discerning the Voice of God, How to Recognize When God is Speaking to You by Priscilla Shire. And we'll be using these two books through the the remainder of this series until we finish both of these books. 
and we're going to keep it going for every Sunday. I'm going to start with this one, and we're going to probably give this about 20, 25, 30 minutes, and then we're going to end the show today. But I'm going to start this one by reading the introduction, letting you get introduced to what this is going to be about. And then we're going to, then I'm going to read uh, a couple a couple of pages out of chapter one, just to get started with this series on the battlefield of the mind, because I think this is going to be very helpful in your development and in the development of many of our viewers. Well, you know, I, I mean, I don't know about the rehearsal part, but I, I like to uh, grow and them see the growth of it. Because, you know, I am still learning. I'm still a baby Christ and uh, still yearning for meat. But, um, you know, here, here I wanted to see the new priesthood established. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. And then in 1 Peter 2, 5, it says, you yourselves live like living stones are being built up as a, a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What do you, what do you think about that? Well, I think it's important. When you look at some of the things that Peter writes and what Paul writes, it's always about preparing yourself to be a vessel for Christ, to be a vessel for God, to be used for a holy purpose. And you see, you know he can use anybody because he used Paul when Paul was named Saul on his trip to Damascus. And that great beam of light that struck down the ground and blinded him and how he changed his life to become a devout follower of Christ afterwards. It's, it's crazy. God, God can use, truly use everybody. He, he can even use a donkey, for God's sake. <laughs> he can use a donkey. He can even and, use a bush. And did. A bush to talk to Moses. Let me read, let me read this okay. introduction to you. Because I think it's going to be nice and important for us. Uh, she also, she always leaves scriptures on the, on the uh, side notes. So I always start by reading the scripture. Now, this is what Battlefield of the Mind is supposed to prepare you for. It's supposed to prepare you for a way to change the way you think, to get rid of the devices of the enemy that might try to get you to doubt your faith and doubt your relationship with God. So the scripture that she uses is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5 and the introduction says, for the weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of flesh and blood, but they are mighty before God for the overthrow and destruction of strongholds. And so much as we refute arguments and theories and reasonings and every proud and lofty thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. And we lead every thought and purpose away captive into the obedience of Christ. This is from the Messiah, the anointed one. How can we express 
the importance of our thoughts sufficiently in order to convey the true meanings of Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7. For as he, a person, thinks in his heart, so is he. The longer I serve God and study his word, the more I realize the importance of thoughts and words. On a fairly regular basis, I find the Holy Spirit leading me to study in these areas. I have said, and I believe it is true, that as long as we are on this earth, we will need to study in the areas of thoughts and words. No matter how much we know in any area, there is always new things to learn. And there are things we have previously learned that we need to be refreshed in. What does Proverbs 23, 7 really mean? The King James Version says, as he, a man, thinketh in his heart, so is he. Another translation says, as a man thinks in his heart, so does he become. The mind is the leader or forerunner for all actions. Romans 8 and 5 makes it clear. For those who are according to the flesh and are controlled by its unholy desires, set their minds on the pursue uh, on and pursue those things which gratify the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit and are controlled by the desires of the spirit, set their minds on and seek those things which gratify the Holy Spirit. Our actions are a direct result of our thoughts. If we have a negative mind, we will have a negative life. If we, on the other hand, renew our minds according to God's word, we will, as Romans 12 and 2 promises, prove out our experience, prove out in our experience the good and acceptable, perfect will of God for our lives. I've divided this book into three main parts. The first part deals with the importance of thoughts and a step I want to establish firmly. Uh, in your heart forever that you need to begin to think about what you are thinking about. So many people's problems are rooted in thinking patterns that actually produce problems, uh, that actually produce the problems they experience in their lives. Satan offers wrong thinking to everyone, but we do not have to accept his offer. Learn what types of thinking are acceptable to the Holy Spirit and what types are not acceptable. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5 clearly indica indicates that we must know the word of God well enough to be able to compare it, what is in our mind, with what is in the mind of God. Any thought that attempts to exalt itself above the word of God, we are to cast down and bring into the captivity of Jesus Christ. I pray Amen. that this book will help you do that. The mind is the battlefield. It is a vital necessity that we line up our thoughts with God's thoughts. This is a process that will take time and study. Don't ever give up because little by little, you are changing. The more you change your mind for the better, the more your life will also change for the better. When you begin to see God's plan for you and your thinking, you will begin to walk in it. At chapter one, the mind is the battlefield. I'm going to read just the first page because I think that's all we have time for. And we're just going to expound upon this. Ephesians chapter six, verse 12. For we are not wrestling with flesh and blood, 
contending only with physical opponents, but against the despotisms, against the powers, against the master spirits who are the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spirit forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural sphere. From this scripture, we see that we are in a war. A careful study of this verse informs us that our warfare is not much, is not with other human beings, but with the devil and his demons. Our enemy Satan attempts to defeat us with strategy and deceit through well-played plans and deliberate deception. The devil is a liar. Jesus called him the father of lies and of all that is false. John 8, 8, 8 and 44. He lies to you and me. He tells us things about ourselves, about other people, and, our, and about circumstances that just aren't true. He does not, however, tell us the entire lie all at one time. He begins by bombarding our mind with cleverly devised patterns of little nagging thoughts, suspicions, doubts, fears, wanderings, reasonings, and theories. He moves slowly and cautiously. After all, well-laid-out plans take time. Remember, he has a strategy for his warfare. He has studied us for a long time. He knows what we like and what we don't like. He knows our insecurities, our weaknesses, and our fears. He knows what bothers us the most. He is willing to invest any amount of time that it takes to defeat us. One of the devil's strongest points is patience. So what we have to do is begin by tearing down strongholds. For the weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of flesh and blood, but they are mighty before God for the overthrow and destruction of strongholds. Insomuch as we refute arguments, theories, and reasonings, and every proud and lofty thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God, and we lead every thought and purpose away captive into the obedience of Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Through, carefully strategy, uh, through careful strategy and cunning deceit, Satan attempts to set up strongholds in our mind. A stronghold is an area in which we are held in bondage, in prison, due to certain ways of thinking. In this passage, the Apostle Paul tells us that we have the weapons need, that we need to overcome Satan's strongholds. We will learn more about these weapons later on, but right now, please notice that once again, we, are, we see that we are engaged in warfare, spiritual warfare. Verse 5 shows us that we uh, shows us clearly the location of the battlefield on which this warfare is waged. The Amplified Bible translation of this verse says that we are to take these weapons and refute arguments. The devil argues with us. He offers us his theories and reasonings. All this activity goes on in the mind. The mind is the battlefield. Summary of the situation. So thus far, we see that we are engaged in war. The enemy is Satan. The mind is the battlefield. The devil works diligently to set up strongholds in our mind. 
He does it through strategy and deceit, through well out, through well laid out plans and deliberate deception. And he is in no hurry. He takes his time to work out his plan. And I'm going to stop right there because you know I can read this forever. This is so good. Well, man, that's why we have to do uh, keep our mind, our, our thoughts into captivity because I mean we can slip pretty nasty. I mean I've slipped from time to time, even when I I come to God's beautiful presence. But little things of my flesh will lead me into a spiral to where I don't even feel God anymore. And, you know, it is, it's just a simple little stuff. I mean, of, of looking at stuff, you know, especially how in America, everything has just been, you know, just lifted up. All sin has been lifted up just, and it's so prevalent and it's, it's everywhere. You can't, you can't turn away from it. It's everywhere. And here in America, I mean, the people, the, you know, the fools that say that there is no God, they mock whenever they even hear what a sin is. They mock it because... They don't know what sin is, you know, God, I mean, the devil truly has worked his wonders in making them feel like they're doing the right thing and, and to, and to, you know, make everything that people in their lifestyles of their, of their sinful ways, their, their flesh to be accepted, to be admired, to, to be seen as bravery for even coming up and, and, and wanting to make it, you know, there, but even for a servant of God that wants to, you know, be there and have, and, and, and engage in this warfare we can even fall down to these things too and whenever we're truly not prepared and keeping our minds sanctified and and truly having god's presence within us and and really hearing everything he has to say we can fall down to these things too and even i mean and it's just it's, it's sad and you know people that don't have god you know the fools that said that there is no god it is just so much more harder to even get to them because again they mock at the thought of sin or that they're in committing sin uh, you know thank god we do have we've been crucified with god and we have these chains broken of the of the lust of sin our old self is dead we are born again with god and we do have the power in christ's name and his righteousness to to seek for forgiveness and and come back into god's grace every time and that's why we must be servants of god must talk about his word, must talk about, you know, redemption and what sin is and, and really show that the, these wages for sin is death and it's, it's serious. And uh, for a nation that keeps on going our way, God's wrath will pour out like a dam breaking. It just builds up, builds up. And God has even done this to his, uh, his people, his own people. You know, he divorced Israel in the book of Ezekiel, I think, when they, they were just so perverse or wicked. And they, they did what they thought was right in their own eyes. And it God's God's judgment and justice, because he's a holy God, will fall down on those that don't repent and don't seek his face. And for and for you know us especially that are in this battle for the mind and for our country, the Lord chooses the, the Lord's chosen servant. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen. In whom my soul delights, I have put in my, my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will he will not cry. I'm sorry. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. 
and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will be faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Matthew, and it says, and ordered them not to make him known. This was the fulfill, this is to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well with and pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not query or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory, and his name the Gentiles will hope. And man, isn't it isn't it so so important that in this modern generation? Uh, for firstly, first let me let me phrase the question this way before I before I even go into that. Do you uh, do you agree that we are in a spiritual war? Oh yes, I mean the devil is working overtime. He you know he he is patient, but in, now that time is coming to an end. He's like a ravenous uh, uh, lion. He and he knows that his time is coming to an end, so he looks to devour as much people as he can. And, you know, I'm, I look at on social media, I love Facebook, I love to see what other people believe. And it's just so prominent here in America. We have people that just, you know, they do what is fit in their own eyes. And we've seen this with the, the people of Israel. And it just brings murder. It brings this, it brings killing. You, you see in America that the justice system is completely deteriorating. People that are being put to jail for their wrongs are being released for the name of, in the name of equity. We, we are seeing as, you know, stealing and rioting as justice because they believe that America is a, uh, you know, unredeemable, wicked, and deserves everything that falls upon it. And you can see it in America, we, we have nonstop upheaval and then the total complete, you know, whenever you try to speak about these politics, uh, you know, more conservative ideas, they are frustrated that the fact that we always say in the Bible, in the Bible, and you can see it in their eyes, you can see the way they mock us, the way they mock God. And then it doesn't help either that the church isn't well prepared, isn't well showing the, the people. So they even, you know, say, well, you don't even stand to your own, they don't even stand to your own uh, ideals. And that even harms us. And that's even the devil working on us, on us too. You know, making our church fall down, making our church even crumble with, from within. But you know, when it you know, so people may like earlier you were saying how people they fall and don't think that they're worthy, or they fall thinking that you know they lose faith or something like that. But it's a testing of faith. It's a testing of it that makes us stronger. And yeah, we're going through all this stuff, but. It brings a stronger church. It brings the testing to the church. And I feel like either way, God's still going to use us to his wonders. And we are going stronger in his word. In our, you know. Our... And so do you see, as I see, that the spiritual war 
can spill out into the physical realm? Oh, for sure. Uh, that's no doubt about that, you know? Yeah, I think I think it's becoming a lot more evident the the battle of the spirit. As I've I've said many times that we're getting ready to face a war. And it's not going to be a war that's going to be won with any degree of weaponry, but with ideals. And part of ideals, part of the biggest ideals that you have is the idea of religion. That's the reason why it is important to have a a uh, a, a national religion, because that's the one of the biggest unifiers that people can have: their religion, their language. Uh, that that's the culture. That's how you connect. And when you have such a clash of ideals out openly, oh man, you can imagine what's happening on the spiritual realm. You can imagine the 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 infantry that Lucifer has that is just sitting out there. It seems like it's it seems like it's advanced so far that we may not have any angels left on the battlefield. But if we know God like we like we know that we know God, it's only a matter of time before the pendulum swings back hard and knocks Lucifer right on his ass. I guess I'm starting to lag out. I'm starting to lag out there. But yeah, you know, we have Marxism, Marxism on the rise. And, you know, Karl Marx was a big person that was against God, big person against that. And it's just, it, it, and the as main things is to uh, make everybody go mad, make everybody just you know, flip their mind. You know, a lot, a lot of people don't know who Karl Marx is. They know Marxism, but they don't know who Karl Marx is. They don't know that Karl Marx was a black guy. They don't know that Karl Marx was a rich black guy from France. They don't know that Karl Marx believed in Marxism because he was fiscally irresponsible, constantly receiving money from his father and his and his wife's parents because they he blow through it so much. He run away from all responsibility. He didn't like to work. He didn't like to do his to do a job. He was a bum in every sense of the word. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, his kids and his wife hated the life they lived. That they even committed suicide. But people don't talk about that with Marx. They don't know about that with Karl Marx because it's not something oh. that is read. It's not something that that is talked about with that. They just talk about oh well. The money, the money, money. Marx didn't believe in his own revolution because he didn't do anything to try to make it come to uh, come true. He just took other people's money, spent it, became poor as a result, and continued to move off people until he died. <laughs> just nasty. Uh, that's what that's what that's the fruits of it, you know. And you know but that's we should, that's the we should fruits talk of. That's the fruits of the love of money. Remember, and, that you know, it's not that it's not money that is the source of evil. It is the love of money. And somebody like Marx loves money so much that they're willing to get it at any cost, that they're willing to get it oh, yeah. under any circumstance that they don't care about the well-being of the people 
that they're taking it from. They don't care about the well-being of the people that they're abusing it for. They don't care. You know, he didn't care about his wife. He didn't care about his children. He didn't care about stealing the money from his father and his mother-in-law. He didn't care about any of that. All he cared about was that he had the money to go waste it on his own fleshly desire. You see, and that's why we should always look up where are these ideals coming in from? You know, and as long as long as we say where ideals come from the Bible, you know, even though they may mock it all the time, but you know, it's 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 it comes from a good source. If they were just to see where the, their thoughts and who they actually were, I, I don't even think it changed their mind because you know they're always gonna say, Well, it didn't work the right way, it didn't wasn't the right way. But um, you know, that you know, a lot of them don't even believe that, you know, I mean if, if you even read in the Bible, it says those who do not work shall not eat i mean these are basic stuff if we had more of god's influence it, it truly the world would be a lot better place i mean it's, it's always america has been so blessed even through all of our craziness but it's been blessed and we we strive and we became the best country in the world where you have the freedoms to do uh, whatever you want including wanting to destroy it okay let's get ready to wrap up here some questions on the lesson. Uh, how can Christians today best identify with the suffering of Jesus Christ? Well, that he knows. I mean, he knows what it's like. We, 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 don't, we can't say that he doesn't know what I've been through. He doesn't know what I've uh, going through or he, he doesn't understand me, but he does know. He, he does understand. He's been heartbroken for, you know, everybody rejecting him. It's, it's just good to know that our father came to be on this world and suffer and went through all the things that we've gone through just to show that, you know, he's the perfect way to go about this, but that he understands us through all of our pains, through all of our things that we go through in an everyday situation. We should take kind of comfort in that because we can't, we, you know, he's, he knows what it's like and he's there with us through all of it all. He's not going to take us, take it away from us, but he's going to help us walk through it to go through all hardships. I think I agree with that. But I, I think I would go on and say that for the people that out there that says, oh, he doesn't understand what I'm going through. He went through worse than anything that you would ever go through. To be beaten to the skin comes off your back. To have to have holes in your hands and in your feet, to be spit upon, to be stabbed in, to be beaten, and then forced to carry the weapon of your own execution. And then worst of all, to have God's presence leave him, to be damned by God. These, and to be completely innocent of everything. Oh, yeah. all, all for you who are complaining about all of the stuff that you're going through, which over 90% of it is because of your own sin, your own choices. He's yeah, been through much like to, worse. And people don't like to own up to what they've done. You know, that's a big problem with nowadays. Everybody likes to say, you know, it's because of the, my upbringing. It's because of poverty and you know that's where that social justice comes in but justice yes, but, is justice you know justice is justice regardless it know? dies out the moment you ask them what evidence do you have to support this 
And then they, they will never give you an answer because there is not. There is no evidence to support any of that. Uh, last question. What is the best response that a Christian can give when faced with the ridicule and sarcasm of the world? Well, look at the book of Acts. <laughs> Even when Peter was thrown in jail, I mean, we can only mimic the the best of the best and that is just seeing glory to god and everything uh there's there's no way of saying you're gonna make it better or it's gonna get any better it's, it's there if you if you're being you know thrown in jail and you know persecuted it's just best it's just sing the gospel songs and just praise god and that's all so you can't really do instead of instead of kill him with kindness kill him with christ yeah just worship God and be like, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter to what you do to me. I'm still going to love God and stand for his holiness. And, you know, that always does change people. It's changed people throughout all time. And people do change when they say, wow, what crazy is this man to still not give up God? I want that. And you change them. Yes, I agree. All right, Jay, pray us out. Well, I pray for our nation to seek the face of God and you know, repent of their sins and hope that justice doesn't fall on us or fall in, in our own individual lives. And just even if we do see the world burning on around us, hopefully that we have peace in God, that he knows what he's doing, he's complete control, and that we can always seek refuge in Jesus Christ. Are you done praying? Yes, sir. You always sin, always seal off your prayer. Within Jesus' name, Amen. Why do we, why why do we do that? The reason why is think of it like this: I'm putting a letter in the mailbox for you. The first one that I put in there doesn't have a stamp. There's no guarantee that it's going to get to you because it doesn't have a stamp. The second letter I put in there has a stamp on it. That one, I know you will receive. So when we seal off our prayer with in Jesus' name, that's our stamp that we know Amen. it's going to get through to God. Amen. Because he is a, he's the mediator. He is the mediator. And, you know, that whenever we pray, I guess, you know, we, do, we are in this. I just think about when we pray, I'm already in the holiness of God. I mean, I'm in his, in his throne room right now. So he does hear me, but that mediator of Jesus Christ, please send it to the Father. Okay, and with that, I think we've done pretty good here at the J. I want to thank you for joining us on this episode. Um, join us on our Discord if you want to become part of the conversation. We do these shows every Sunday, though Jay has been rather, rather fat lately and has been eating rather than doing the show. Uh, so every Sunday we do these shows. Join us in the conversation, join us on Facebook, join us on Discord, join our websites, and we will see you all same time next week. God bless.